Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it's been said that once in every lifetime, something happens on the world stage that shapes the course of human events. For some of you, it was December 7th, 1941. For the generation following, it will be September 11th, 2001. The day our nation's capital was attacked. The day the Manhattan skyline was forever changed. The day Al-Qaeda terrorists took control of four passenger airliners. Two were flown into the towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. A third was crashed into the Pentagon. And the fourth was heading toward Washington, D.C., but crashed into a Pennsylvania field when passengers bravely overwhelmed the terrorists. Nearly 3,000 innocent people lost their lives that day. 25,000 more were injured. Thousands more have died since in a worldwide war on terrorism that resulted in the death of Osama bin Laden a decade later, the terrorist leader who claimed responsibility for the attacks. And all that says nothing about the ways in which all our lives were affected in the aftermath. That act of terrorism was like the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in that it drew Americans together in the face of a common enemy. The motto, United We Stand, was everywhere. Flags were flown. Churches were packed. September 11th was a day of horror, but it pulled Americans together in a beautiful way. The prophet Isaiah has words appropriate for this anniversary. They not only take us back to 2001, but they point us to the future and a challenge before us. The Lord helps me, he says. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be put to shame. Those words match the attitude of our country after 9-11. We turned to God for help, and we found that God upheld us. We showed unity and resolve, setting our faces like flint on the challenges of national security and respect for our brothers and sisters. For a while, anyway, we became one. Those challenges aren't behind us. There will always, always be you know, bad people in the world uh, bent on our destruction, or a pandemic, or a hurricane, or uh, an earthquake, or whatever it is that's, that's next in line. It doesn't matter. The answer, you know, the answer will always be the same. Look to God, where our help comes from. Set our face like flint, hardening ourselves against our challenges, and move forward, knowing that the Lord is greater than all of them. Who will contend with me, the prophet challenges? Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. And because our God is unchanging, we can look back at how he's acted for his people in the past to be assured of how uh, he will act in, in our lives. Now and in the future. For memorial services held on 9-12 and for a couple weeks after that, churches saw attendance numbers uh, spike. They skyrocketed. People seeking comfort. People seeking answers. People seeking God. Fundamental motives, fundamental questions. You know, why is there so much evil in the world? Now, people either didn't like the answers very well or, or the answers never sunk in any farther than their short-term memories because uh, attendance numbers gradually dropped back down to the levels they were at before. So I thought maybe by looking back this morning, 20 years later now, at lessons learned by some of the people whose lives were were forever changed by 9-11, and in very personal ways. At least you and I can walk away from church this morning with lessons that will take root. 
Cheryl McGinnis has found strength and hope in God after the death of her husband, Tom. The last time she saw him was on the morning of September 11, 2001. It started as a typical day uh, in their 18-year marriage. He had an early morning flight and kissed Cheryl goodbye. Then during her devotional time, a few hours later, she got a call from their friends Chris and Bob asking how Tom was and uh, about his whereabouts. Chris told Cheryl that a plane had been hijacked and to turn on the television. Cheryl tried paging Tom. She tried calling Tom. She got no response on either one. Then she tried to call some other American Airlines pilots to see if they knew what flight Tom had been on. And when she finally did get through to someone, uh, no one would tell her what was happening. And then her pastor came to, us, to her house about the time a big black car pulled up and several men in dark suits came to the door. One of those men told Cheryl that American Airlines Flight 11 had been hijacked, crashed into the World Trade Center in New York City, there were no survivors, and that Tom had been the co-pilot on that flight. Shock overwhelmed her, and she felt like her heart had been ripped out. She had to hold on to her pastor's arms to keep from collapsing. As she cried, she realized that she still had to tell her teenage children, Jennifer and Tommy, what had happened. Her friends Jeff and Vicki brought Cheryl to the school. Uh, at the principal's office, Cheryl told her children, Jesus has called Daddy home. And they clung to each other and cried. Though it was comforting to know that Tom was with Jesus, Cheryl wondered how she would ever survive without him. Uh, friends and family soon heard the news, and they rallied around Cheryl and her children. She remembered one of the last things that Tom told her. If anything ever happens to me, you have to trust God. God will get you through it. Just surround yourself with loving people people who know Christ, people who will surround you in Christ-like love. And even through the worst storms of life, Cheryl has learned that God is there. Her ministry today, uh, Beauty Beyond the Ashes, is dedicated to supporting and encourage those who are feeling overwhelmed by their circumstances. She's able to share how she and her children were able to find a place of peace. She acknowledges letting go of the past and pressing through the present takes an incredible amount of strength and perseverance. God is our rock. We know that more deeply than ever before. God bringing good out of evil. 39-year-old Lieutenant Commander Brian Birdwell had been stationed at the Pentagon for 16 months. His boss was hosting a conference at the, the uh, nearby Doubletree Hotel, but Birdwell and his two civilian colleagues had stayed behind to take care of their administrative duties. The three of them had turned on the television to watch what was happening in New York. Birdwell stepped out to go to the restroom, telling his colleagues he'd be right back. Those were the last words I spoke with them, he said. Just as he was returning to the office, Flight 77 slammed into the Pentagon at 500 miles an hour, just 15 yards from where he was standing. As he was engulfed in flames, he remembers thinking, so, this is the day God has chosen for me. After struggling to get up, he cried out, Jesus, I'm coming to see you. Not for help, he says, but with a calm, knowing that I was going to spend eternity with God. He survived, spending months in the hospital. But at some point in his four-year recovery, which included 39 surgeries as well as uh, horrific infections, he wished he died. The pain from recovery was sometimes greater than his initial burns. Looking back, he says the experience gave him, quote, the opportunity to be bolder about my faith, 
Before the attack, my wife, Mel, and I were very quiet and unassuming. We were behaving as the world wants you to. You know, keep your faith to yourself. He would later say that 9-11 was a day we remember what the Lord did in our lives. And he's learned that you have to treasure each day as a gift. While his body is mostly healed, uh, the scars still remain, you know, psychological and, and physical. Uh, he, he suffered burns over 60% of his body, 40% of which were third degree. He was awarded the Purple Heart for wounds he received that day. And on the day he retired from the Army in 2004, he received the Legion of Merit Award. In 2010, he was elected to the Texas State Senate, position he still serves in even today. He and his wife went on to found Face the Fire Ministries, a nonprofit organization that supports the critically burned in their families, including many returning veterans. God bringing good from evil. It was Jerry Sillick's day off from the New York City Fire Department. Like so many others, he rushed in to help in the frantic search for survivors. For months, Jerry worked on the recovery and cleanup effort, but he also maintained a Firefighters for Christ prayer ministry at Ground Zero. He lost 29 friends in that one day, and if he's taken anything away from that tragedy, he says that life is a vapor. And he and his wife make faith in God, their focus every day, every hour, every minute. The most important thing you can do, he says, is share the gospel with people and spend quality time with God and your family. Just one more quick story, this one about Sheila Moody. Although she'd served the Department of Defense for 20 years, it was her first day on the job at the Pentagon when the fireball ripped through her office and everything went dark. She heard screams and moans, and then silence. Trapped in the debris, she prayed, she prayed, Jesus, please help me. She didn't think she would ever see her family again, ever get to be a grandmother. Choked by the smoke and unable to speak, uh, she clapped her hands to get the attention of the rescuers who were eventually able to pull her out. Today, she says, there's no earthly reason I should be alive. We know God showed me unmerited favor. The experience changed her marriage. And we can laugh at the small things that used to cause rifts. See, throughout their marriage, some of their biggest uh, issues she and her husband faced uh, used to settle around household chores. Today, when the dishes pile up in the sink, they say to each other, you want to go out and have some fun, some laughs? Everything in their life, right down to their finances, takes a backseat to God and family. God provides all our needs, Sheila says. Did you hear the commonalities, the thread that runs through all those stories? Each of these families was touched in some way by tragedy and death. And yet at the end, they weren't driven away from God. They were driven to him. They didn't blame God. They turned to him for strength. They don't doubt God's love and goodness. They treasure it now above all else. They don't take life for granted. Each day is a gift from God to be cherished, and they tell others it's good news. So where do we go from here? How best do we pass on what we've learned? Do we remember September 11, 2001 as a day of hatred? Or is it possible to remember it as a day of love? A day when hatred collapsed skyscrapers into the ground? Or a day when God's love rained down on the wreckage of people's lives, raising them up in his strength? 
It was almost a year before Cheryl could visit the site in New York City. She was overwhelmed at the thought of everything that had happened there and how events might have unfolded. She looked into the pit where the remains of the building once stood. And when she did, she saw the only steel structure left standing, the beams that formed the shape of a cross, a reminder of God's presence and a reminder that he understands loss. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus healed a boy that the disciples had been unable to heal, even though they'd been given that ability when he sent them out to uh, preach earlier. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And the man uh, replied, from childhood. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, you know, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, this story is recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, uh, in Luke's gospel, and here in Mark's gospel. So everybody thought it was important enough to keep track of, including the Holy Spirit, obviously. But only Mark records what may turn out to be the most important part of this conversation. Words of confession and faith and hope the next time you feel like life has you buried under the rubble. The father immediately cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And the Lord commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the boy, and he was healed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many Americans prayed that prayer in the morning we watched the towers collapse, not able to believe what we were seeing? Certainly it doesn't seem like much of a prayer, does it? Certainly not in light of Isaiah's powerful confession of God's awesome power this morning. But we learned from Mark that even that little prayer is enough. On that day, two people were healed, the boy, but also the boy's father. The boy was freed from his demonic oppression, and Jesus honored his father's honest confession in his, his moments of frustration. And we can't deny that we all deserve to be buried under the rubble for our sins. And maybe that will drive some people to the cross where they'll find help and strength in the power of forgiveness. But God doesn't want to leave us at the cross. It's more than enough. But there's even more. He also wants to lead us to the empty tomb where on Easter morning, its lack of an occupant was our assurance that, that he buried Jesus under that rubble in our place. That he poured out all the wrath on his own son that Good Friday on Calvary. It was enough to cover sins past, present, and future. The agony of the cross, that was it. Not the nails, not the, the spear. It was the sheer weight of the sins of the world borne that day by Jesus for our sins in our place so that by faith in his saving work and his atoning death for us, we might find life and often find it in new ways. Walk with me this morning of remembrance on the, to the cross, uh, from the cross to the empty tomb. Now that the dust has settled, now that the new tower has been constructed, you know, maybe you can take a fresh look and see God hard at work that day, even to saving the lives of survivors in the days that followed, people who might otherwise have been tempted to abandon him. Today, if you want to, you can walk away with lessons learned in the hardest way by others who have been more than willing to share them with us for free. You know, as we wind these thoughts down this morning, I'd like to read a lesson that's often used at funerals and memorial services, and for good reason. Uh, this version is from uh, the New Living Translation of the Bible. It comes from the Apostles' letter to the persecuted Christians in Rome. 
As I read it, think about the stories and the lessons we've shared. He writes, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's from Romans 8. Where was God that day? 20 years ago now. God was there. God was always there. Just like God is here. And he will always be here, even in our darkest times, to light the way to the cross and the empty tomb. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to receive your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings.